0: On the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use, welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 44, created on April 23rd, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me, Jeff in Minnesota, Neil on the East Coast, and we have Peter on the other side of the ocean with us today. (laughs) Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking.
1: Well, Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Today I'm having a dogfish head, utopious, barrel-aged, worldwide stout. Wow.
2: Uh, And I know about how much that one costs. So Um, I am drinking a beer from Brooklyn, looking at uh, Aaron Rodgers' hopeful next destination. I'm drinking something from the Outer Half Brewery. And it is the Cheddar Special Reserve. And you can see all of the cheese. I don't know how often you see cheese on a beer can, but um, (laughs) it it, it is is
0: excellent, right?
2: There are a lot of things that are great in Brooklyn. But yeah, it's a double dry hopped Imperial IPA. It looks like cheese even.
3: Um, Hello, everybody from the UK. And I'm just drinking what, in fact, is an orange energy drink called Lucozade, which is quite, quite common in the UK. But yeah.
0: Sure, mine's an orange energy drink as well, but it's called a Grand Manhattan. (laughs) All right, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat, and the audio will be available on Spotify as well. Just search for Green Bay Chat. What are we talking about? Well, it's the end of April, and it is the NFL draft and everything that goes with it, and uh, a lot of things that we can talk about with the Green Bay Packers and the draft this week, and we will, of course, feature a Packer player of the past, But we brought Peter in because he did an extensive draft preparation, uh, 307 pages. Uh, When Neil told me about this, Peter, I told Neil, I said, I don't think I've ever read 307 pages (laughs) on any one subject in my life. So congratulations on putting together (laughs) uh, your draft preparation.
3: Thanks for that. I was just going to say, it's a labor of love every year. And but it's it's good fun putting it together. It it, it makes for me it makes draft night more interesting because I've spent a you know a lot of time both watching and writing about about these players and comparing them and stuff like that. So it makes it very interesting.
2: So Peter, could you give us a little history on your draft guide? How many years have you been doing it? Uh, what all goes into this enormous tome that you've produced now for a
3: while? <laughs> so in this current format for the UK Packers, which is a fan group over here we've been doing this for, fi- for five years. So this is the fifth annual draft guide. Um, previous to that, I used to do one back in the 1990s when when we had a little fan group over here. Um, and for me personally, I used to do it for, just for my own benefit. Nothing like the 307 pages now, but for my own benefit when I first started getting into football. So back in the late 70s. And a lot of that initial reason was because we don't have anything like the draft over here. So it was... As well as football being new, the draft was completely new to me and this whole college football thing and how, you know, how how players move from college into the pros. And that was, you know, really interesting and whatever for me. So going back to this current iteration, this is the fifth year um, we've done this and the 2024 one is already well on its way. And the 2025 one has been started as well. It literally is. Eighteen months, two years worth of work—not whole work, but that period, that time scale—to to to get to the point where a couple of weeks before the draft, we released this year's version. So where where do people find it? It's online on the UK Packers website, UKPackers.co.uk. There's a link there, and it can be downloaded for free PDF. Yeah, you know, free is the Um, magic word in all of it. You got to lead with that. And, and that and that is part of the way we kind of advertise it, if you like market it. Um, but it was always my intention. It wasn't a money making thing by any stretch of the imagination. It was. I didn't know whether when when we started this iteration five years ago, whether this was going to be ten pages, a hundred pages, two hundred pages. Didn't know. Um, but it was more about, you know, I I, lo- I watch a lot of college football anyway. This stuff interests me. I'm doing some of this stuff for myself so why not just make available to everybody else what I'm doing for myself yeah you know my view was I always wanted to keep it free so as long as I'm doing it it will be it, it, it will be free I mean it, it's as much about you know keeping people's interest this time of year particularly UK fans but l- like I say it's kind of grown and spread outside the UK which is you know which is fine and have a lot well, of fun look- doing it
0: like you said, you really don't have anything like an NFL draft over there. And, and quite frankly, over here, we don't have anything like an NFL draft. The NFL <laughs> draft is the draft. Baseball and hockey and any other sport, it's non-existent. Uh, ba- basketball. Uh, it NBA is. NBA is a NBA real draft, has, too, that has, matters. has come around. They're trying to push baseball. But, you know, going back uh, 30 years when I worked in sports media, um, that June amateur draft of baseball. It was very difficult to find information on the draft. You had to, you know, know somebody who was either associated with the team or getting drafted to even get any information. Uh, they're finally coming around on that. And it, and it is because the NFL draft is so successful. That's why it's on prime time. That's why it's spread out over three days.
3: You know, and, and people like, you know, like the Mel Kuypers of this world have made a whole career out of it.
2: I, um, I've always thought that Mel Kuiper and Joe Lunardi have the two sort of saddest jobs in the world and that like what happens the day after brackets are announced in college basketball or after the draft is done. I mean, Mel kuiper has got nothing to do for a while. I mean, he's got to hype up the next year, but he's sort of like a
1: meteorologist, though, right? You know, he doesn't have to be right at all. No, I mean, that's the thing. That's <laughs> a, that,
2: I mean, that, that's sort of our theme for the the draft is that, well, you know, mock drafts, because there's so many mock drafts. Certainly something's got to be right in there somewhere. So. <laughs>
3: And I think that's absolutely and I think that's actually part of the fun of it right so for, oh, yeah. for an amateur like me if you throw enough darts you're gonna get some right <laughs> one, one, once in a while and those are the ones you talk about right forget all the other ones that missed those are the ones you talk but you well, it's know. always the it's always the anticipation that's so
0: much more exciting uh that's why tailgating yes. is fun right because it's the lead up to the big event so here we are talking about the big event that's going to happen Thursday night. Uh, so if you're staying up to watch it Peter it's going to be a late night for you but you're used to that following NFL uh, but let's kind of get down to the numbers Green Bay currently with the 15th overall pick but if everything stays as is Green Bay at number 15 what do you think happens
2: All right, going to the tough question right off the bat here John. <laughs> I mean, we're not right, we're like so going to mo- soften our way into this whole discussion Oh, so right so in, offended. head
3: first deep end. let's go I sit on the fence a little bit. It obviously depends what happens in the fourteen picks before the Packers pick. And let's let's assume for the sake of this that there's that there's no Aaron Rodgers trade that involves the number one pick. There's a whole bunch of guys that we obviously know that aren't going to be there when the Packers pick. A Bunch of quarterbacks they're not going that route anyway. But a bunch of quarterbacks not going to be there, you know. And there's and there's some other guys that the Packers are going to stay away from, even though they're some of the some of the better players in this draft. Um, like Bijan Robinson, they're not going that route, right? Even though he's actually my favorite player in this draft. I'm not saying he's the best player, but he's my favorite player. So I think that realistically, I think that if if Jackson Smith and Jigba drops to fifteen, and I don't think he will, right? But I think I think they may have to trade up two or three spots to get him. But it, I think it depends on what on how many quarterbacks go before the Packers pick because. If the fourth quarterback, if Levis goes, and if Hendon Hooker goes, and he is rising up boards like there's no tomorrow right now, then there's a chance that that JSN drops to the Packers. And that would be my pick for the the Packers.
0: Uh, So you're going receiver there. Good pick. Yeah.
2: So I, I guess you're convinced that the Packers are actually going to pick an offensive player in the first round. Uh, for the first time, other than Jordan Love, since 2011, right? And you know, 2011, of course, was a disaster with Derek Sherrod. But you think
3: the Packers are going offense? So, 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 so I'm not, I'm not certain of it, right? So, so, I'm a tackles and corners guy, right? I'd always go tackles and corners for for, for all kinds of all kinds of reasons. So, I, I I've got on record on Twitter as saying it wouldn't surprise me to see the Packers go tackle or even corner. Now, I think corner's a little bit out there, but I think it depends on what they're doing at the safety position. If Razor Douglas, and indications thus far, I believe, are that he's not moving to safety. But if, in their plans, Razor Douglas is a potential safety, then they could go corner. And tackles and corners, particularly at that stage of the draft, are pretty safe picks as safe picks go. So, do I think the Packers will pick more offensive players than defensive players in this draft? Yes, I do.
2: So, I thought yeah. one of the most interesting things from the draft guide, sort of in a big picture sense, is you sort of took this compilation of all the mock drafts and what position the Packers would choose, and it was basically nobody has any idea which way the Packers yep. are going to go for their <laughs> first round pick.
3: So, so, yeah, absolutely right. So, in last in last years when the Packers had the Packers had two first round picks, twenty two and twenty eight. You know, and they ended up going with Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. I looked at more than three hundred mock drafts before last year's and not a single person got those two players in either order. Right? They got one or the other, but nobody got both of them. It is a, it absolutely is a is a crapshoot. And we just I guess we don't know what the team's thinking. So we're trying to second guess where their heads are.
1: Well, and one of the things that always that usually happens in the draft is you'll get almost like a groupthink issue, right? Where you've got Teams start picking a certain position and it just, it goes, you know, it yeah. just, it's, you'll get, and that may happen with the quarterbacks here is that you'll get a run and there will always be one of the teams, believe me, that'll make a pick. And you're going to be like, everybody's like, what, you know, like nobody saw that coming and that also bodes well for us. But yeah, I think, you know, based on the the quarterback, the the premium quarterback, there probably isn't going to be a running back taken quarterback run, lots of good quarterbacks. And that's great because yeah, let the, the better players, um, or at least for our needs fall, that would be awesome.
2: So go, yeah. going back to, to your, your, your overview of the wide receiver position. So you just said that Jackson Smith and Jigba, you were hoping that he was going to fall to us, but there's a certain level of risk associated with him since he's really only played one year. And you, you talked about yeah. that in your guide. So you're that convinced by the pure talent that one, essentially just yeah. one year is sufficient. for
3: Yeah. Him. I mean, I mean, idiot. the, 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 the risk for me is the medical is the medical risk. And I, and I, and I'm, and I'm going for JSN on, on the basis that, I'm making an assumption here that the that the Packers and or whichever team picks him have done all of that, all of the medical work that they need to do, et cetera, et cetera, and that they're comfortable that there's no medical risk within. If they're not comfortable, then they can't go they can't go that route. But I'm making I'm making that assumption. And I think and I think with him, you know, yeah, he only played three games this past year because of the hamstring. I think he could have played more from the reports that I read that he was ready to go towards the end of the season, but pretty much shut it down, for you know, preparing for the draft. And I think if you go back to 2021, you know, he was the third, and I'm going to put that in inverted commas, wide receiver on that Ohio State team that had Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave that were both first-round picks last year. Mm -hmm. You know, Garrett Wilson went on to be offensive rookie of the year last year. And Jackson Smith and Jibba was actually the number one receiver on that team. In, in 2021, alongside those guys, people are a little bit worried because he's predominantly a slot guy, which he which which he is. Um, but I think for the I think for the Packers, I think it would be nice for the wide receiver core to grow up together. You know, with Watson and Dobbs, and then and then and this this guy opens up the middle of the field, makes lots of yards after the catch. I just think, providing the medical stuff's okay, I, th- I think he's a great fit for the Packers. An interesting
2: comment a couple of days ago where you said that there's no Kellen Winslow in this year's draft and, um, you know, you're, my, you're, 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 my you're, eyes, you're essentially, you're yeah. essentially projecting <laughs> that, you know, fundamentally that the tight ends that everyone's looking at may be late, really realistically late first round or second round picks, but of course, they could all be gone by the middle of the second round. Do you think the Packers should be trading down to get a tight end or do you think that we should be just looking at the overall depth and perhaps maybe talk about the your your thoughts
3: on the different tight ends that are out there yeah so 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 i'm always a trade down guy i don't know why but i like to get the extra picks i guess and i and, and i always believe that that unless you're picking in the top five to ten players there's a drop off and a cut and you know and the, and the and the curve starts to straighten out once you get um, you know, and pick 20, for example, how different is pick 20 than pick 35, right? So look at, at Christian Watson last year. So the Packers traded up to get him at the beginning of the second round. But I don't think anybody would have batted much of an eyelid if they would taken him at 22 or 28. In fact, they tried to trade into the back end of the first round to get him last year. So I don't think there's a huge drop off. The tight end spot's interesting because there are, it's quite deep but there isn't a Kyle Pitts from two or three years ago, a guy that's an absolutely outstanding receiver coming out of college. kind of forget what Pitts has done since, but coming out of college, he was the outstanding tight end receiver, top five pick. There isn't that guy in this in this draft. What there is is a bunch of guys that you could probably pick the first three or four and make a case for them going at some point in the first round, and that for me is a case for probably either either trading down or sitting and waiting at 45 and wait for the one that drops to you
0: what do you have um, as those first three or four so Michael Mayer
3: yeah. So, so Mike, Michael Mayer, Dalton yeah. Kincaid and then the wild card in the group which is Darnell Washington
0: yeah.
3: so you've got Mayer who's the all round tight end will block will catch Dalton Kincaid is the best receiving tight end in this draft in my in my view by quite some way very inexperienced not a great blocker And then you've got this six foot seven, 270 pound Darnell Washington, who has really come to the forefront almost after the college football season finished, because it's number two tight end at Georgia behind Brock Bowers, who's probably going to be a number one pick next year. And he's one of those guys where the combine did him the world of good. So he got the opportunity to show what an athlete he was at that size. And, show his pass catching ability as well you know he only caught 20 odd passes at Georgia last year but he's a guy that you know if you think of the blocker that Mercedes Lewis is you could easily see a case for the Packers picking Darnell Washington as the next in inverted commas Mercedes Lewis
2: there is this level of inexperience I mean you look at Michael Mayer I mean I think Packers fans are excited about him 18 touchdowns over 2,000 yards at Notre Dame, setting tight end records at Notre Dame, obviously a very good school. Um, What's the downside for somebody like Mayer, especially thinking about him as pick number 15?
3: So for for me, he's a solid all-round player, but he's not a tight end that's going to stretch the field. He's not a Jermichael Finley, where we would see Finley run you know, run go routes down the seam at, from the from the tight end spot. He's not that guy, but he's not a Travis Kelsey type tight end that's going to dominate a season with 100 catches. That's not who Michael Meyer is, but I think he's a solid receiver that's going to give you 60 catches from the tight end position, which for the Packers, 60 we, we catches from the tight end position would the <laughs> would, 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 would be a lot. But, you know, we see the top teams in this day and age with Kelsey, with George Kittle, those guys, you know, your tight ends are catching 80, 90, hundred balls. And I don't think Michael Mayer's that guy, and he's certainly not going to, not going to stretch the field. But Dalton Kincaid maybe can. So what's the downside for a Dalton Kincaid? So two downsides, right? One is he's not the blocker that Michael Meyer or Darnell Washington is yet. And the reason it's a yet is because he's only played two or three years at the tight end position. So, this is a guy who's upside, his potential is high, but you don't know how high on that scale he's, he's, he's going to get. But, yeah, as a, as a receiver, and you can split him out wide, you can line him up in the slot, you can do all kinds of things with with Kincaid. I get that. I just think pick 15 is high for all of those guys. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that, to be fair, is I'm not a great guy for picking that many tight ends in the first in the first round, anyway. You know, we look at guys like Kyle Pitts, who was a top five pick two or three years ago. Okay, TJ Hodkinson, that we were all high on three or four years ago, has since been traded. Nice, nice player, but they never quite, certainly in recent history, never quite get to the levels that we all expect them to get to. So I'm a, I'm a little bit, bit like almost a bit like running backs and safeties. Those are guys that you tend to maybe stay away from early in the draft. So with that said, safety, I think, is a big position of need.
0: Uh, Adrian Amos is still an unrestricted free agent, hasn't really had any nibbles out there. Uh, Darnell Savage still back there. We don't know, like you said, whether Razul is going to make that move, probably not. Uh, but in that safety position, do you see them making a jump at that 15 spot to get that, that position filled?
3: I th- I think I I think there's one guy in the first round that's Brian Branch of Alabama, and I think it I think it depends on how they see him. Right. So Branch played probably eighty-five percent of his snaps at Alabama the last two years, lined up as a nickel corner. He has very little experience playing a, a deep safety either as a either in cover one or cover two. Now that's not to say that he can't do it because he's a really good he's a really good athlete. But if you're looking for a guy that's got experience of playing as a deep safety, that early in the draft, there isn't one. But they may love Branch, A, because they may be looking for a nickel corner anyway, all right, depending on, again, what happens with Brazil, Douglas, et cetera, et cetera. And B, they just might like his athleticism and believe that that with a little bit of work, they can make him that deep safety anyway. But he, he, he definitely doesn't come with that experience. So just sort of looking at who
2: the Packers brought in for their top 30 visits, right? First round type players, offensive linemen and tight ends, second round edge rushers and safeties really showed up in sort of the mid rounds along with wide receivers and, and, and linemen and, and uh, maybe running backs at the end of the day. So, I mean, do you think that this is really Brian Gutekunst uh, figuring out exactly which players he wants, or is there an element of deception that's in here as well?
3: I think, yeah, all of those things, right? So, <laughs> so, 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 if we go back to Goody's first draft with Jair Alexander, the Packers never spoke to Alexander one time in that whole in the whole period. So, then, so, no, not at the combine, never had him in for a visit. So there was never any indication from those things that Alexander was going to be the Packers pick, and yet he's probably turned out to be the best number one pick that that Goody's, that Goody's made. I think it's really difficult, if I'm honest. I know that some people lay a lot of credence on who they bring in. I don't so much because I'm not sure that sometimes they're not bringing guys in to rule them out rather than rule, rule them in. Mm. Um, but I think you can read a little bit into positional thinking, right? And and I think the positions you've talked about there, edge in particular, which we haven't got to yet, I think that's always a position of need particularly this year for the Packers with Gary being hurt. We don't know at what point he's going to come back. Literally at 15, I can see the Packers, you can make a case, I think, for five or six different positions for the Packers pick in there. And I think providing you get a player of value at that point, I don't think we can grumble too much.
2: And just sort of finishing up on tight end. So how deep can we go and get a decent tight end? Who's going to be able to contribute this year? Somebody who's going to be able to help, Jordan love develop because that's what
3: he needs is he needs players that are going to help him develop. So, so I, I, so I think there's probably six guys that go in the first three rounds. So I think the, the names at the back end, the names that we haven't mentioned Luke Musgrave. So I think Musgrave is more like a Dalton Kincaid type. It's better receiver than he is blocker, probably second round, second or third round. So he's almost certainly going to be there at 45 and maybe there later. Um, And Sam Laporta is the guy from Iowa who's getting a lot of press right now. He's one of these guys that all of a sudden is is starting to jump up boards. And I think Laporta's a nice pick in... For me, 45 would be too high for him, but he may not be there when you pick in round three. So he's one of those guys that you have to make a kind of a judgment call on. But he's a nice, nice player. And I just want to pick up on your point about Goody and Wynn now. I think it's a really important point because... So Mark Murphy has got one more year. 2024 will be Mark Murphy's last season as the Packers president and CEO. He has to retire when he's 70, which is after the 2024 season. And I think that Mark Murphy and Goody are pretty tied at the hip together. I think they have a partnership that, that in the, in their eyes, works very well. And they're, I think they're quite close. The new guy may not be that close to Goody. We don't know. No idea who, it, who, it, who it's going to be. But I think it... W- there's more chance that the new guy wants to move on from goody if the Packers aren't winning by the 2024 season than if they've just finished a 12 and five or a 13 and four season so therefore I think while the Packers aren't in win now I think for goody's sake I think they're in win they have to be winning by 2024 else I think he's he's on dodgy ground I would think <laughs> based on a new guy coming in
2: I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think that we've got to get, do something that's going to get Jordan love comfortable. First, give Jordan love the best possible chance for success. But when you look at what we need to do to be successful, especially getting into 2024, we really need more picks than we need the absolute top picks to hit as yep. far as I'm concerned, because we just have way too many positions that have holes and you look at good drafts. I mean, He's only had two players that have made the Pro Bowl from his drafts. And that's starting to look like a potential problem. And, uh, you know, it's a problem as far as where we go at every position except for a couple. And the whole issue of taking as many shots as you can because you just don't know because there's the crapshoot element of the draft means that he's got to be looking at more people. But maybe not so much the high risk, but people that have got a chance of really plugging in and being successful consistently
3: at a a number of places across the board. Yeah, and that goes and that goes back to your point about about trade about trading down. You know, if you, if you believe you get to you know pick 15 or earlier than that, and you think actually you know what, I've got 10 or 15 guys here on my board that are pretty much equal value, then mm-hmm. trade down, pick up another number two or whatever it might be, or or try and do what you did in Jair's draft and trade down and see if you can get another number one next year or whatever it might be. But I I, I, I agree with that.
0: The other thing I think looking at like what's the potential of being drafted in that number 15 spot, uh, what do you rule out? Obviously, kicker punter long snapper, uh, probably running back. Uh, guards have never really been valued that high center. Um, what else what else do you rule out based on what's available? Who do you think they don't go after?
3: So so, <laughs> so I would rule out safety. But I'm I'm I and I think if Brian Branch wasn't there, I think they would rule out safety. I've just there's something nagging in the back of my head about Brian Branch. I wouldn't pick him just because as I've described, he's played nearly all of his career as a slot corner. But I have got sneaking suspicion that he's an SEC guy. Goody likes SEC guys. It's a it's a position of, of need. So it, it's possible. I would rule out tight end, but I'm not sure that they would rule out tight end. And I think all of the other positions are in play. I think it's one of those drafts for the Packers where you can make a case for drafting a tackle, you can make a case for drafting a corner, you can make a case for drafting a wide receiver, you can make a case for going defensive line, having lost Jaron Reed, Dean Lowry's left in free agency, et cetera, et cetera. I mean we've um, lost line, we've we've lost forty seven percent of our snaps from last year from the interior defensive line. So You can you can absolutely make, make, make a case for that. I guess linebacker you can, rule, you can rule out. They're not going an off-the-ball linebacker, all right? So that's, uh, the, the, they must feel pretty well set with those guys. You know, I think there's absolutely a case that somebody could make for any of about five or six positions. And and it would be difficult, I think, to, to argue against that case. You know, somebody said, we've picked an offensive tackle. It's not the most exciting of positions you know it's not the skill offensive skill guy that lots of people would want we can absolutely make a case for it probably Bakhtiari's last year with the Packers given his contract situation yeah I mean just with Bakhtiari
2: right I mean who knows I mean I think that we make the playoffs if Bakhtiari plays 16 games last year yeah. and so that's you know obviously a really important position you know somebody who is going to be able to protect jordan love is mission critical as far as giving him the chance the best chance for success especially given the challenges that earlier quarterbacks have as far as holding onto a ball too long and and just wilting a little bit until they get more experience in facing the rush and uh, i think there's a lot to be said for giving jordan love great protection up front although i don't think that the the offensive line is is our biggest Area of need, you know, it certainly is more than some others. I think running back and linebacker are the two positions that I feel most secure about as far as the team is concerned. But everywhere else, you're right. I mean, we need we need players, we need bodies everywhere. And unfortunately, we don't have as many picks as able to fill all of those holes in the team.
3: And and you have to assume that that's why they're de- they're desperate to get the picks from from the Aaron Rodgers trade prior to the draft or at least on draft on draft night. Whether that will it'll be,
0: it'll be draft night. You know, I, I I recently rewatched the classic movie Network from 1976, and <laughs> and realized once again that it's it's all about ratings. This, you know, putting putting the the draft in prime time is something that certainly brings ratings. And there's no way that that dra- that that trade is going to get announced Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. If the trade is ready to go, it will be announced Monday night or Thursday night because they're going to wait till Thursday night. And just like everybody in America watched Howard Beale get murdered on live television, it's going to be waiting for everybody in America to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. And they're not going to give up that nugget of, of holy ratings that they're going to get Thursday night for when that draft, that trade finally gets announced during the
1: draft. So you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's
3: ratings jeff it's all about ratings i mean come on it's it, you know if it's not ball bearings it's ratings the, the interest the interesting thing for me and this is probably something we'll never know right is is whether they've got two or three scenarios that they've agreed that depending on how right. the first few picks of the of the draft go then the scenario changes but like
0: i said I it's know. not gonna it's not gonna come it's not gonna play out until thursday night there's no way that gets announced during the day on tuesday it's going to come out Wednesday night because every sports guy in america and and even not in America <laughs> is going to be tuned in and 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 Lord Ratings is going to take over uh, and 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 then with that, Lord, football is going to show why they are the number one sport in this country,
2: so continuing on Packer's draft needs. Obviously, we need a backup quarterback now because I don't think anyone thinks that Danny Etling is going to do the job. Are we going to make a pick in the late rounds for a quarterback, somebody that's developmental, somebody who has a little bit more long-term potential? And do you see Stetson Bennett as QB3 in Green Bay? (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> we're just waiting He'll on that Neal's, one
0: tipping his hand a little bit there on who he likes okay
2: <laughs> I, I don't know actually that I, that I do like that but I think that there's something to be said for having a young, court, young quarterback he's going to be 26 next year but having somebody that's got that level of game experience that if they need to come in they're not going to wilt under the moment and I think that the one thing that you can say is that Stetson Bennett among all the people coming from college is the least likely
3: to wilt under the moment it's a great it's a great question, right? So I think they absolutely will pick somebody, round six, round seven. Got four picks in round seven, but I absolutely think they'll pick somebody. The guy that I like, and it's it's no surprise because I've seen lots of other people go this route as well, is Clayton Toon out of Houston. And the reason a couple of reasons for that. One, he's a is a f he's a four-year starter in college, and I and I think that has a decent arm, but the thing that I like most about Clayton Toon is his mobility, right? So a, his ability to run, but also his ability to make off-process plays, off-structure plays, could throw on the move, right? And I think that I'm not trying to compare him to Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, but that's what we've seen a lot of out of Aaron Rodgers over the years. It's the ability to make those plays when the play that's called breaks down, if you like. And that, I think, for a guy that's going to go late in the draft, I think Clayton Tune has that. The downside is played at Houston, so some of the level of opposition isn't isn't as strong as, for example, Stetson Bennett would have played in the SEC. Um, is 6'2". so he's not your prototypical 6'4", 220 hundred and twenty pound guy, but he's just a guy that I like. Just a guy that I like late late in the draft. I think you can make a case for Stetson Bennett, but I don't think the Packers would pick a twenty six year old quarterback. I just don't think they would go that route which is which is also what makes the Hendon Hooker pick for whoever picks him in round one, assuming he goes in round one, because he's 25. Um, that makes that interesting. He's 25 and has an ACL injury and he probably isn't going to play half of the coming year. So that's almost the same thing. But yeah, for me, it's Clayton Tune out of Houston. For everything
0: that you've said there, I just keep picturing Danny Etling. Neil kind of poo-pooed <laughs> him a moment ago, but you know, Danny Etling, yes, he's 28 years old. He's 6'3", 220 pounds. He played at both LSU and Purdue. And he's shown, you know, he's a a great August quarterback. He's shown his ability to move uh, with his legs. I thought that he had a strong throwing arm. I liked him. I think he's a good kid. I think that he is going to be a good camp body. And I think he's going to compete regardless of who comes in. He's going to compete for that number two spot. Uh, With that said, I don't think, that you're going to reach for someone like a Stetson Bennett who thinks he can be a starter. I think you're going to pick, uh, in this case, a fifth or a seventh-round guy who is going into the league, who's going to be resigned as a backup at the moment, who you don't have to worry about protecting, trying to get into your practice squad. I think Etlin can be a number two quarterback for this season uh, with a developmental guy that maybe they just gra- draft to make a, a camp body. Now, who that guy is, uh, I don't know. Uh, but you know, Peter, I'll I'll agree with you on tunes from from Houston. That works for me.
3: So, so I'm so I'm all for throwing the dice at quarterbacks late in the draft, anyway, right? So that that partly comes from Ron Wolf and Ted Thompson, who always wanted to pick a quarterback at some point. Now, you know, we can throw names out there, and these guys went higher in the draft. than Mark Brunel's. Or Ty Detmer, I was going to throw out there, but I think he was like a tenth round pick when there were twelve rounds yeah. in the draft. Yeah. But Aaron Aaron Brooks, those guys that you can develop. And I'm not suggesting that Clayton Toon is the next Mark Brunel, but guys that you can develop who either become solid backups or you can trade them in two or three years' time and get your seventh-round pick back Or I think the important thing is I know that the convention says, you know, the Packers ought to go out and sign a a veteran guy that's going to back up Jordan Love. I'm not in that boat. And the reason I'm not in that boat is I think the worst thing that they can do is put any pressure whatsoever on on Jordan Love, what what he doesn't need is the first time he throws two interceptions in a game is for the fans to get on his back and call for the backup, whoever it is, to come in. Backup um, quarterback uh, is always the most popular guy in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. until he's not. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I, 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 I just I always think back to you know Holmgren with Favre you know, and 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 Holmgren pretty much saying, look, we're tied at the hip here, and you know, we're going to reach the heights, but it will be together, or we're going to end up in the dumpster, but it will be together. And I think that's how Lafleur has to be with Jordan Love, because yeah. if the Jordan Love pick turns out, and I don't think it will, but if the Jordan Love pick turns out to be not so great, and he, he isn't, well, I think that, that this regime's moving on then anyway. I think they're tied now with with Jordan Love. So I,
2: I, sort, of, I sort of half agree with you on this one, Peter, because I think you're right, that for, for Brian Gutekunst, it's a big deal that there's success for Jordan Love because he did do that trade up to pick him in the first round. And you and many people have made the argument that maybe we got over the hump if we pick somebody else. So for Goody, I think that's true. But I don't think that that's true for Matt LaFleur, right? Matt LaFleur knows that he's on a different time scale than Goody is. And and Matt LaFleur needs to be able to show that he continue he's able to continue winning. And I don't know that he cares who his quarterback is as long as he's got somebody who's going to be successful.
1: I think I'm, I'm more in Peter's camp in that there, I think they're just, they have to be together the front office. There's going to be some changes and it's a win now mentality always, or for the most part in the NFL, Jordan love has been sitting, you know, for, for many years now. Right. So, I mean, he's not a rookie. He's got all this upside. So get him some players. And if he makes mistakes, he's going to make mistakes. But I don't think he gets the hook. I mean, he's just not. He can't, right? I mean, this is their number one pick. This is the guy that they're going to try and do this, the trifecta, right? They did it for for (laughs) between Favre and Rodgers. And man, if they can pull this off again, wow. Um, And I think that's probably what they're going to try and do. Well, we certainly
0: have danced around the topic enough. There's a draft. It's Thursday night. At the moment, Green Bay is picking number 15. It's time for us to you know, put the money where the mouth is. Let's make our picks. If you want to pick uh, a trade, a crazy trade, whatever you think is going to happen Thursday, go ahead and put it on the line. Here's my feeling on the draft. Regardless of where Green Bay ends up, if they're picking at 15 or 13, uh, between Thursday and Friday, ideally, by the end of Friday, I want to see three guys named Darnell in Green Bay. I think that Green Bay gets Darnell Wright, the tackle out of Texas, on Thursday. I'd like to see Darnell Washington, the tight end, somehow as their second pick. And, of course, Darnell Savage still being in town. I think that uh, just because I like things like that. We've got two guys named Jonathan Ford. Why not have three guys named Darnell? Uh, But you talked about linemen, Peter. Uh, I'm all for if Skoronsky's not there uh, when we're ready to pick. uh, Darnell Wright out of Texas is a guy that I like as a tackle. I think his versatility is there. You talk about Bakhtiari on the way out, potentially. Uh, So that is a position that you have to look forward to. The draft isn't always what we need today. It may be what we need next year or the year after that. So Darnell Wright and Darnell Washington, uh, I think between Thursday and Friday, to me, are coming to Green Bay. Jeff, what do you like?
1: Uh, As we've talked about here, there are lots of needs. So I think if the Packers... Uh, pick at 13 or if they stay at 15 i think they're trading down i i think they're going to go for for value they're going to get more but they as we've discussed here more bodies uh help for jordan love so when they trade down they are going to pick an offensive player whether it's still in the first round or the early second round kind of like they did uh with christian watson last year i think they're going to get either a tight end or a receiver of a little extra help but that's, I'm saying they're going to trade down, pick an offensive player with that top pick, and then a defensive player after that.
0: Any players Peter, in what do you particular, think? or you just like position?
1: I don't have anything in particular. I'm just, I <laughs> trade down and see what happens.
0: Jeff, Jeff, tight Jeff likes tight ends and wide receivers. There we go. <laughs> that's par for the course for this show, Peter.
3: I, I think that Jackson Smith and Jigber is the pick if the Packers can get him. Right, if he's there at fifteen, or if they find a way to get that, get up two or three spots to get him, I think I think he's the pick. I think if they if if they feel that they're not going to get him, he's off the board. Um, I think they trade down as well, and I think having traded down, I think they do go the tight end route, and I think that could well be Darnell Washington either at the the end of the first round or in or in the second round. And the other name that I'll throw out that we we didn't discuss. Um, is a corner from Georgia, and they like those Georgia guys. Kaylee Ringo, it's going to be difficult for them to get him because he kind of falls between their two picks, but he could be a guy that they trade down for. And I, and I like Ringo because of his – well, he's young, his speed. I also think he might end up at safety um, just because of the way that he plays. Um, so, yeah, Smith and Jigba, and if they trade down, I'll go with Washington and Kaylee Ringo.
2: I, I am also in the trade down camp just because of uh... – where we see the tight ends are, are located and, and you know the the lack of enthusiasm that is being dominant players. Um, I also see us choosing an offensive lineman. So I'm going to say we maybe trade down a couple of the two second round picks and move up with one, move down with the other as well. So you've got essentially two picks in maybe the 25 to 40 regime. Um, I'm going to choose. I'm going to go with Dalton Kincaid um, just to change things up. Um, and Broderick Jones is the is the player. So we'll have a, a have an offensive tackle and a tight end. People who are going to be able to block. People are going to be able to defend Jordan Love, but people are also going to be able to help Jordan Love move the ball down the field.
0: All right. So Neil and I both like tackle and tight end. We're just changing the order and different players. Uh, Jeff likes tight end and wide receivers, and and Peter's going with a wide receiver or trading down for that cornerback safety position. So we're we're all kind of feeling the same thing here edge rushers you know that's a position edge rushers and you talk about corners I'm of the opinion you can never have too many cornerbacks on your team either but an edge rusher if, if someone gosh if Lucas Van Ness is, is sitting there Peter do you see them grabbing him
3: it wouldn't surprise me at all Van Ness or or Miles Murphy or a guy in the in in the second round Again, this is another draft like they all seem to be these these days that are really deep in edge rushes in the first two or three rounds. There's lots of guys, so it wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Anything else, Peter, you want to throw out there about the draft or if you want to remind people where where they can find your materials online?
3: Sure. Uh, the, 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 you'll find me on Twitter at, at the underscore IT underscore Hedgehog, and the draft guide is on ukpackers.co.uk. There's a link there. There's a, there's a downloadable PDF link there. And yeah, just go pack go and let's let's enjoy the enjoy the draft and whoever the Packers pick, let's hope they're guys that can help them immediately and we're get, gonna get behind whoever they pick.
2: And I will say no matter who the Packers pick, I'm going right to your guide first to look at my analysis. Uh, it's really looking forward <laughs> to you. actually having this this uh mm-hmm. Thing that i can look at <laughs> this is
0: actually the most pre-draft prep neil has ever done because he doesn't give two <laughs> shits about these guys coming in my, 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 gen, my
2: general opinion is there's only a one in 32 chance that any player is going to be on the Packers. so why do i care about it for three sure. percent chance so
0: it, it doesn't count until next week next week we'll talk about how it, it was the perfect pick yeah so that's everything we're looking at uh it's on tape we can't say we didn't pick it that way. Uh, we get to review it next week, and, and certainly next week we're, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the guys that Green Bay did draft all the way through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and how all of these guys are by far and away the most perfect pick that they could ever have. So, Peter, we want to thank you for your time and all the extensive work that you put into this. Thanks for being our guest again. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad we didn't keep you up too late this time, but you know, you've know got your, your, your week uh, set up for you coming up.
3: Uh, Yeah, And I just want to say thank you to you guys for inviting me back on again. It's been absolutely fantastic. Again, I love you guys. I love (laughs) love this podcast. Love being on. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks, Peter. Once again, it was a blast. Yeah. So thanks again to
0: Peter uh, over in England. Now, Peter is near a place called Piccadilly Circus, right? And in Green Bay in the 60s and 70s, there was a bar called the Piccadilly. It was a place that Notoriously, the Green Bay Packers would hang out. Now, my parents uh, also uh, like to frequent this bar. It was on the east side of Green Bay on Main Street. The building no longer stands, but the stories of the Piccadilly are legendary, in particular players who would make their way through there, uh, like Max McGee, who you know notoriously liked to have a few drinks, and our notorious ladies' man, Paul Horning. Now, we're going to talk about Paul this week, not only because he was the number one overall draft pick. Maybe there's a little gambling uh issue that's going on in the league right now but neil's got a whole bunch of stats and and i know we said that when legend becomes fact print the legend but neil you're gonna start with some facts on our packers player of the past right
2: yes our packers player of the past is the golden boy paul horning paul horning was born in louisville kentucky in 1935 louisville being known as being the home of the kentucky derby a hotbed of gambling the greatest spectacle of gambling in american sport Hit that's a bit of foreshadowing here. Um, so Paul Horning uh, in high school was a four-year letterman in football, basketball, and baseball, went on to Notre Dame for his college. And he even played a year of basketball at Notre Dame in college, but um, really was an all-around athlete as far as football is concerned. And in his senior year in 1956 in Notre Dame, Paul Horning led the team in passing, rushing, scoring, kickoff returns, punt returns, punting and passes broken up and was second in interceptions and tackles on that Notre Dame team. Somebody who truly had incredible athletic skills and was named the Heisman trophy winner, despite Notre Dame being two and eight in that 1956 season to have that level of skills to win the Heisman trophy with a two and eight record is truly incredible. So somebody who is looked at to be the number one pick in the 1957 NFL draft But interestingly, at that time, the first pick in the draft was determined by lottery. Um, And so specifically, they just had a, essentially a lottery of all of the teams, except you couldn't be chosen as the first pick in the draft if you had been the first pick in the last 10 years. And so it was really only down to the Packers and the Bears to be that first pick. Um, And it was, it wasn't just the first pick, it was a bonus pick. So you don't get that lottery pick. You don't get that additional pick. So the Packers had two picks in the first round that year. They got the bonus. They won the lottery and they got Paul Horning uh, picked him with the first pick in the 1957 draft
1: with that pick um the signing and what exactly was the contract that that uh, Mr. Horning signed so it was a 3-year rookie contract it was worth $45,000 which was the richest uh rookie deal in Packer history at that time now obviously he was in college he is an amateur and then when he signs a contract he becomes a pro well there was a little bit of timing issues here so he originally signed his packer contract on december 14 1956 but there was a one little glitch he still was scheduled to play in the east west shrine game which was at the end of december well he did uh, and then the signing was officially announced on January 9th, 1957. So he kept his amateur status-ish when he played in the East-West Shrine game.
2: Yeah, somebody who wanted to play on the edges, certainly. So the Packers uh, also had the fourth pick in the draft, and they chose... Ron Kramer in that fourth pick, uh, sort of a guy that is not as well known in Packers lore, but was AP one in 62 and AP two in 63 and was on the NFL 50th anniversary team. So really good first round draft picks for the Packers. Although Jim Brown was picked by Cleveland Browns as the sixth overall pick in that year. Anyway, so 1957, he was a rookie, had 319 yards rushing three touchdowns, attempted a couple of field goals, but sort of had a nondescript rookie year for all of that skill And then his multi-talented nature really started to show in 1958. Again, ran for about 310 yards, caught 15 receptions, but also now started to take over the kicking duties and specifically 22 of 23 extra points plus 11 field goals for those 58 Packers. His real jump was in that third year in 1959, 681 yards, rushing seven touchdowns, 15 receptions, 31 of 32 extra points, and seven field goals. He led the NFL in scoring that year with 94 points and was named All-Pro, so somebody who now was showcasing that talent that he had in Notre Dame. 1960 is the season, though, that defines Paul Horning's career and is probably the biggest reason why he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one of the greatest individual seasons in sport 671 yards rushing but 13 touchdowns along with uh, 28 receptions two touchdowns so 15 total touchdowns that he scored in addition he threw the ball and had two passing touchdowns was 41 of 41 on extra points and had 15 field goals with a long of 47. That adds up to 176 total points scored by Paul Horning. That set a new NFL record that actually broke a record from Don Hudson in 1942 of 138 points. So a Packer breaking a Packers scoring record. And kind of amazingly, even though there were only 12 games in that 1960 season, that record stood until 2006 when Ladanian Tomlinson hit 186 points In a 16-game season, Paul Horning's 1960 season with 176 points is still the number two all-time scoring in a year in the NFL, despite it being a 12-game season. He was first-team All-Pro and was second in the MVP voting behind Norm Van Brocklin of those Philadelphia Eagles that ended up winning the title over the Packers that year. But you can certainly say that Paul Horning won the NFL's punt pass and kick competition in 1960.
0: And on top of that, Neil, he was damn good-looking. (laughs) <laughs> this is a guy who, you know, he was called the golden boy. Look at the picture. He had the golden hair, chiseled features. This is a guy who he had this charisma about him. Charisma is just one of those things that you can't define. He he had it, whatever it is. And and when he came to Green Bay, everyone was enamored with him. Uh there's a story that, you know, in one of his first games in Green Bay, a female fan came out of the stands and sat on the bench next to Paul Horning, and she would not leave until she got a picture with him. She wanted her photo taken with Paul Horning, and before security could cart her off, he simply said, hey, meet me out the, outside the dressing room after the game. <laughs> <laughs> so could, she could get her picture at that time. But that's the allure that this man had. He was just such an, a, an amazing presence. And Neil, you know, we talk about our parents being in, in Green Bay at the time. Even my mom saying, yeah, you knew when Paul and Max were in the Piccadilly. You knew when they were in the bar. And and that was just one of those things in Green Bay, the way the town was at the time, is, hey, Paul's here and he's got a gal under each arm.
2: Following up with that record-breaking scoring season in the 1960 season, he now uh, enters the 1961 season. But there's a problem as far as the Packers are concerned, because Paul Horning had been drafted into the U.S. Army and was serving active duty in the U.S. Army. Now, normally that means you're out of sports for that year. But thankfully for the Packers, Vince Lombardi was a friend of John F. Kennedy. And so Vince Lombardi convinced President Kennedy that yes, Paul Horning should get a weekend pass for all of his games. And specifically, that he should have gotten a weekend pass for the 1961 NFL championship game. So um, having the right friends is certainly something that is helpful
1: so it was lombardi's connection i guess with with jfk but there were a couple actually other players for the packers as well that that were were getting what it was horning but i i think there was a couple other players too not on a consistent basis but it was like yeah we really need these players for the the championship game and you know if they could be defer you know getting deferment you know from for this it would be kind of important amazing Think about that. Right. Just
2: just imagine the media storm now if this were. Oh my God. Just, yeah. Paul Horning's season taking advantage of his weekend leave, Uh, 597 yards rushing, eight touchdowns, 15 receptions, two more, also had another passing touchdown. Again, 41 of 41 in extra points with 15 field goals. He had 146 points on the season, again, for the third year in a row, led the NFL in scoring, and was the NFL MVP that year, winning over Jim Brown. And interestingly, in the MVP voting for 1961, Three of the top six vote getters were Packers, with Starr and Taylor also being in that top six. They won the NFL championship 37 to nothing over the New York Giants on the 31st of December, 1961. Paul Horning, critical in that game, 20 rushes, 89 yards with a touchdown, three receptions, 47 yards. Three field goals, four out of four and extra points, named the game MVP. He scored 19 points in that 1961 championship game. That was a record for most points scored in an NFL championship game until it was broken in Super Bowl 51 by James White. So he's still second most points scored in an NFL championship game. However, this continued Paul Horning's, uh, let's say, love of controversy because for being named the game MVP in 1961, he won a Corvette. And yet on his 1961 taxes and on his 1962 taxes, he did not claim the value of that Corvette. Eventually, the U.S. tax court uh, ruled against him and ruled that he needed to go back and put that onto his tax return and pay for back taxes. So uh, sitting at the edge of the law, um, certainly not something that was above Paul Horning.
1: And I'm sure that Corvette didn't stick out at all at the Piccadilly, right,
2: John? (laughs) Right. (laughs) 1962 the packers won the nfl title paul horning uh did not win the scoring title that year actually jim taylor took control as far as the packers were concerned jim taylor had 1,474 rushing yards and 19 touchdowns in that season leading the league with 114 points paul horning contributions somewhat less but still somebody who clearly was an important player Uh, he also missed some time with injury in that 1962 season he only had 14 extra points The other kicker for the Packers in that 1962 championship season, Jerry Kramer. Jerry Mm -hmm. Kramer was nine of 11 in field goals, 38 of 39 in extra points. He was the top kicker for the Packers in that 1962 season. And in that 1962 NFL championship game, a 16-7 win over the Giants, Jim Taylor had the touchdown and Jerry Kramer had three field goals and extra points. So Jerry Kramer with 10 points in that uh, 1962 championship game.
0: But now after that, Neil, Jeff was talking about unreported income. Uh, Certainly Paul had a lot of unreported income. Well, I don't know if a lot's the right word, but he had enough that after the 1962 season, he got a little bit into a little bit of trouble with the commissioner for 1963.
2: Yeah. So in April, 1963, it was determined that Paul Horning and Alex Karras had bet on NFL games. Uh, They had all of the receipts for it. And They were suspended indefinitely starting in April of 1963. They missed the entire 1963 season. Uh, But Vince Lombardi, uh, with his connections once again, this time with Commissioner Pete Rozelle, convinced Commissioner Rozelle that unlike baseball, where that would be a lifetime ban for betting on games, that Paul Horning was going to be somebody who was going to be trustworthy. Um, Certainly Paul's status as one of the real symbols of the NFL played a critical role as, as far as that's concerned. And Specifically, as far as convincing Vince Lombardi, Paul agreed not to gamble, not to go to Las Vegas, and not even to show up at the Kentucky Derby for the rest of his playing career. And for somebody who's from, from Louisville, Louisville, how
0: can you call that how was, can you that, was that,
2: that was a real commitment? And <laughs> wow, so uh, it was, uh... that was apparently enough for both uh, Vince Lombardi and, more importantly, for Commissioner Rozelle.
0: Well, something else with it, I think. Horning, you know, to Horning's credit, he was very upfront. He's all he had always been upfront about it. He said Rozelle should have suspended him, and but then he kind of went on. I think Horning would tell stories that uh, to kind of, uh, I don't know if justify is the right word, but he said, you know, he said he could have suspended Roselle, could have suspended a lot of other guys too. Horning would say, hey, a lot of guys bet like I did. I bet a $100, but never more than $500. Like that, that was
1: something. Oh, well, okay. You know, to credit,
0: <laughs> you know uh, but the commissioner, you know, was making a point. And I think Horning understood it. I, I would assume Alex Karras did, but even, you know, Neil, like you said, Lombardi told him, keep your nose clean. I don't want to see it at the track, but that uh, I think Horning even said at the time, "Hey, I'm from Louisville. That's kind of hard. That's getting done." <laughs> yeah.
2: But he did in uh, 19 early 1964. He was reinstated. We'll remind you that 1963 is one of those years the Packers did not win the NFL title, In 1964 they didn't as well. Paul Horning had a um, relatively modest year as far as his production. Jim Taylor still had almost 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns. Harding was still 41 of 43 for extra points, Um, but the Packers were eight, five and one that year. And one of the reasons why they were eight, five and one, they lost a lot of close games is Paul Harding was actually only 12 of 38 for field goals in that year. He had a long of 52, but um, it was a tough year for Paul Horning as far as field goals were concerned. And we have a lot of close games. That's an issue. Now he did have one superlative as far as kicking that year, and that he had a fair catch that was turned into a free kick that went for over 50 yards, the only fair catch free kick that went for over 50 yards in NFL history. That was against Chicago in the season opener. But nonetheless, the, the field goals was a problem for Vince Lombardi. And after that 1964 season, Vince Lombardi signed Don Chandler from the New York Giants. He had been the scoring leader in that 1963 season. And so Paul Harding now was going to be able to focus on running, catching, and doing all of those amazing uh, thunder or thunder and lightning things. You know, Paul, Paul Harding was the lightning of thunder and lightning in those 60s teams. And he was able to focus on those elements. So 1965, um, five touchdowns rushing, three touchdowns receiving. Um, He had five touchdowns, however, in one game that would have set an NFL record in a win over Baltimore in December of 1965, except Gale Sayers scored six touchdowns later on that same day. But the Packers ended that 1965 season tied with Baltimore for top record in the Western Conference at 10-3-1. And And even though they had beaten Baltimore in both of those games in the 1965 season, tiebreaker practices were not in place. And so because they ended with a tie record, they had to play a playoff game for the Western Conference Championship.
1: So that was a game that was played in Green Bay. That game, that was not a pretty game. That that was, as you said, Neil, that they pretty much had, the Packers had no business winning that game. Um, you know, some of the stats, they turned the ball over four times, two interceptions, but most importantly, Bart Starr was knocked out on the first offensive play of the game. So in comes Zeke Bretkowski, and he was a game manager, if you will, but there was, there was lots of other controversy in this game as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, even just going back to the whole fact that it was played in Lambo because of a coin flip, that seems sort of a, a dicey starting point, but thankfully for the Packers, Johnny Unitas was also knocked out of the game yeah. as far as Baltimore was concerned. So it was just an ugly game. The Baltimore Colts were up 10, nothing at halftime. Paul Horning did score a touchdown in the third quarter of that game. The Packers then went up to a position where Don Chandler had the ability to kick a field goal to tie the game late in the fourth quarter field goal was called good. There is video of that field goal. It was decidedly not good. (laughs) That field goal went wide, right? The Packers should not have tied that game. That game should not have gone into overtime. Thankfully it did. And Don Chandler kicked an actual field goal in overtime that uh, not only counted, but was actually good um, to bring the Packers out of that game, out of that playoff game or that play in game and bring them to the 1965 NFL championship game against Cleveland.
1: So one of the changes that was made after that game is the height of the goalposts were increased because that was, that was kind of one of the uh, kind of gray areas, right? They said, oh, you know, just so to make it more obvious, even though the league said it had nothing to do with that with that particular field goal i think it had everything to do with that particular field goal but nonetheless uh after the that season the the goal posts were raised
2: in order to make sure that you would see that a missed field goal was actually a missed field goal so in 19 the 1965 NFL championship game was also at Lambeau against cleveland at that time they alternated be- the eastern and western conferences as far as which conference hosted the NFL championship game it was actually the first uh, the first NFL championship game that was in January. It was the first championship game that was televised in color, um, but it was a championship game that was in Lambeau in January. There was snow, there was fog. It was below freezing. Tickets were $10 and $12. So, uh, you know, <laughs> little little different than nowadays, but the, it, it was certainly a back and forth slugfest. And Cleveland Browns were driven by their star running back, Jim Brown. I mean, Jim Brown had been NFL MVP. At that point, he was the best running back of the last several years, as far as the NFL was concerned. And so Vince Lombardi's game plan was ball control. We're going to run Taylor. We're going to run Horning. We're going to play defense. That's going to focus on Jim Brown. We are not going to let Jim Brown beat us. If they're able to throw to Paul Warfield or get passes to work, that's okay. We're gonna let them to do that. But we're not letting Jim Brown beat us and we're not gonna let them hold onto the ball. It was very much a classic defined what classic NFL football was as far as ball control. Green Bay was ahead 13 to 12 at halftime, but a 13 yard touchdown run by Paul Horning in the third quarter gave the Packers that 20 to 12 lead um, that ended up being sufficient. They won 23 12 over Cleveland. Um, but just to indicate what the nature of the ball control was, uh, Jim Taylor 27 rushes, 96 yards. Paul Horning 18 rushes, 105 yards in that touchdown. Um, you know they had over 200 yards on the ground, and they held Jim Brown to something like 48 yards in that game. Um, just You know, a case of really trying to dominate the game on the ground, take away their biggest strength, and then keep them from being able to do anything about it. Um, It was also sealed by a Herb Adderley interception to end the game. And I think that as we look at what we've talked about for those Packers teams from the 60s, we've talked a lot about the offense's time this season, maybe to talk a lot more about those defensive players from the Packers in the 1960s.
1: And that was the last pro game that Jim Brown played as well. Uh, We can thank uh, Mother Nature for that. There was uh, a snowstorm that morning, uh, so it made the field just a total – it was heavy, wet snow, uh, so the field was a total mud bath and and played to the Packers' strength, right? Just grind the ball out. Um, Cleveland at the time was a faster team, but because the the field was just a mud bath, it advantaged Packers. And uh, the other thing that that, uh, I read, which is kind of interesting, is that – um, the Browns broke precedent. No, normally they had stayed, all the other visiting teams and things like that had stayed in Green Bay. Well, they, the Browns decided, well, they're going to stay in Appleton. Yeah.
2: Never stay in Appleton. Um, it's a bad idea.
1: Well, <laughs> Especially when there was a snowstorm that morning. So instead of a, you know, quick trip up Highway 41, uh, it took a much, much longer to get there. So they did get there by, you know, obviously by game time, but but it really shortened their kind of preparation window and um once they got there and it was just apparently the snow had made everything a huge mess um at that, on that cold snowy january day in 19 early 1966
2: so it's very interesting to think about that 1960 right the packers legacy the Vince Lombardi legacy, the dynasty is all about, you know, five championships in seven years, but they'd gone two years without it. If they had gone without it in 1965, would they have gone on to win another one or two? Would they have had that dynasty? Uh, obviously something that you can't know, but uh, the, the the Packers legacy is not quite as clear as I think that Packers fans like to put it out to be that we were just the dominant team. And we were always taking control of the other teams that there were always these moments where you know, the game hung in the balance, the legacy of the season hung in the balance and um, things happened to work out. But, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of preparation that's involved in that, but it very much was hanging in the balance in that 1965 season.
1: Well, and maybe that's what, you know, makes it all the more incredible though, you know, two games sort of back to back in green Bay, the the playoff game, because they, they had tied uh, with the Colts. and then, you know, mother nature, it snows that morning, right? So it's just, it, it winning championships is difficult, right? And and there are certain things that have to line up just perfectly. And so that just seemed to be, that makes it all the more incredible, all the things that sort of broke their way. And so that's, you know, the, the legacy of the Packers and, and um, it's, we'll always have that.
2: Finishing up Paul Horning's career in Green Bay in 1966 had a pinched nerve in his neck and I uh, did not play a ton. He missed a lot of the games ended up having, uh, four touchdowns. i uh, got to the super bowl and he was the only player on that Packers roster who did not play in super bowl one. He was given the opportunity to go into the game late and he decided, no, I'm not, you know, I've got this pinched nerve. I'm not going to go in just to make an appearance. And so, um, nonetheless, he was a member of that championship team contributed to that championship. So overall, four NFL championships, including one Super Bowl for Paul Horning in Green Bay.
0: Well, with that, like like you said, yeah, he has the one Super Bowl ring. And I think that a lot of times our brains deceive us. When we think about the great Lombardi teams, you just naturally assume that Horning was on both the one and two rosters. But he left town, went to uh, New Orleans for the his last year.
2: Well, he was he – was- Picked by New Orleans in the expansion draft that right. year. The Packers actually also traded Jim Taylor to New Orleans. But because of that neck injury, Paul Horning never actually played within New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he did, in the end, only play for one team in his NFL career. So where does that leave us as far as Paul Horning's legacy? I think the starting point for any discussion of legacy is, well, what did Vince Lombardi think about Paul Horning? And Vince Lombardi called Paul Horning the greatest player that I ever coached. Um, That certainly says as much as anything talking about the legendary players that Vince Lombardi had on those teams. Um, He was the first Heisman Trophy winner to also be first overall win an NFL MVP to be inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame and to be inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1986. He holds the NFL records for most games with 30 or more points with two, 25 or more points with three and with the number of games in a season with 13 or more points with eight, those are all still NFL records. Looking at his overall numbers though, um, he was certainly overshadowed in much of his career by, by Jim Taylor. His total rushing yards is only 3,711 yards. Um, He never went over 700 yards in a season rushing. He only three times went over 500 yards in a season. Um, He's at later than 250th in the NFL list of total rushing yards in his career. Receiving, he certainly played a role in receiving 1,480 yards, but not such a dominant role. Overall, he had uh, 65 touchdowns, both regular season and playoffs, Um, but obviously it was that multidimensional nature uh, that that was critical and 195 extra points as far as the Packers are concerned overall, and he had five overall passing touchdowns for the Packers, so Overall, he had 798 total points for the Packers. That's actually fifth all time for the Packers in total number of points. And so the sum is more than the parts as far as as far as far Paul Horning is concerned. And you look at the people who are above Paul Horning in points for the Packers. Mason Crosby is a far and away first. Ryan Longwell, second. Don Hudson, third. Chris Jackie, fourth. Obviously, three of those came after Paul Horning was on the team. And there's a big gap going between Paul Horning and Jim Taylor in sixth. And so uh, one other note, as far as the scoring numbers are concerned, Mason Crosby has more points than Ryan Longwell and Don Hudson, second and third combined. That's how far wow. Mason Crosby is ahead of everyone else. Um, seventh overall in total touchdowns for the Packers. It, it, it's, that, it's that sum total that is what matters as far as his career. I should say there's one other record that, that Paul Horning has for the NFL he has the record for most missed field goals in a season with 26. So hey, you um, got to be a good
0: kicker. to uh, You got to be a good kicker to miss that many field goals, right?
2: That, that's right. And so I, I, I think the, the scoring number is, is in the end, the, and just the central nature to how that thunder and lightning was the game plan for the Packers. You had to have that, that speed of Paul Horning in order to keep the defense from keying on Jim Taylor entirely. So for the
0: rest of his life, too, Neil, I think that Paul Horning, um, you know, he carried that charisma about him. And and certainly uh, stories always happen wherever he went. I found this one for you, Neil, from the Dayton uh, Daily News. Right. Uh, Paul Horning was in Dayton, Ohio, with Ron Kramer. You know, Ron Kramer, if you don't recall, played for the University of Michigan. Right. And Horning being the Notre Dame guy. They're in Dayton for a golf outing and they're at breakfast and Horning gets a tap on his shoulder. Someone says, mind if I sit here? Horning looks up and it's President Gerald Ford. And he says, well, yeah, sure. You're welcome Welcome to sit here. And as Horning tells it, you know, pretty soon Kramer and Ford, who are both Michigan guys, were lying to each other about how great their Michigan careers were. And the uh, the journalist who was covering the story asked Paul Horning and said, well, did, did either one of them pick up the check? And Horning kind of laughed and said, are you crazy? They're Michigan guys. Yeah. Nice. So, it just something about the man, the charisma always carried with him wherever he went. Parting word of wisdom from Paul Horning, Neil, Jeff, for you guys. He said, Never get married in the morning. You never know who you might meet that night.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay, so with then. That, <laughs> with that,
0: I think we need to work our way out of here. You guys, any final thoughts on the NFL drafter, Paul Horning, or the legend of Paul Horning?
1: <laughs> just the fact that Paul Horning. Probably, you know, him being in Green Bay. Um, I'm guessing that he probably would have rather been in Chicago or New York, but the fact that he embraced it, he seemed to like Green Bay. Green Bay obviously liked him. Um, and so it's, it's, it's again one of these just bizarre things, right? Where only in Green Bay, right? Where you have some someone like this in town and and in the national spotlight yet it's you know it's little old green bay and you can go down to the piccadilly and you know probably see his, his uh in a rears taxed corvette <laughs> sitting out there and it's just yeah it's it's amazing so again kind of the 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 more we do these podcasts the more i learn you know having grown up there but just you know thinking think you kind of know everything but seriously Almost every week, it's like oh, I didn't know that, or that's interesting, or whatever. And, and we were right there. Well, we weren't born yet, but I mean, our parents were and such. And yet, we learned something new every every podcast. So I think that's that's awesome. Neil,
2: my closing thoughts are going to move from number five to number three, and I'm not talking about player numbers in this case. I'm talking about the third round pick in the draft. The biggest bugaboo we've had over our drafts over the last 20 years, 20 plus years, is that we've had problems picking third round picks. We've picked bust after bust after bust. But when I think about some of the most important players for the Packers over the last 30 years, it's players like Antonio Freeman. It's players like William Henderson. We need to get third round picks to be people who are going to be successful for the Packers. And I think fundamentally, if we start to get those third-round picks correct, we're going to have people filling in that are going to make us a really good team again. I have faith in Jordan Love. As long as he's got enough people to play with who are good, I feel confident about our future.
0: And for now, all we can do is wait for the NFL draft starting Thursday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, letting the chips fall where they may, and then we will come back and talk about all of those great picks that the Green Bay Packers made this week. Hey, if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit subscribe, leave a comment, let us know how we're doing. Find the GBC Podcast at Green Bay Chat. That's all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Spotify, and on Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And as always, may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Bye.